Assalamu alaikum and welcome to the Muslims in Your Backyard podcast. I'm your host, Haram Shamim. Thank you guys for joining me for another episode of this podcast. As always, I appreciate the support and for listening to this podcast as well. I hope you guys have been doing well since the last episode. Uh, I know myself, I've been doing, uh, alhamdulillah, quite well, or at least, you know, well enough. And, and partly is because uh, finally, in, in the place that I live here in, in Canada, we've been getting some warm weather, or we've been getting what I guess is summer weather. Although I will say, uh, because it is Canada, it can be a bit chaotic sometimes. We've had warm weather, and then we had, uh, you know, some really harsh rainfall here. Uh, and then there was also a bit of a cold weather. It's been sort of back and forth. But hey, you know what? I mean, I guess that's just part of living in Canada. I'm assuming that wherever you guys are, that you're listening to this from, uh, hopefully, A, uh, there's not been too much COVID cases. Uh, and then B, there also has been at least warm weather for you to go outside uh, and sort of enjoy uh, what is, I guess, the summer months in wherever you live. I mean, here in Canada, for example, the summer months are literally just like a few months uh, and then basically becomes September and then it immediately starts to get colder and colder until, of course, we hit winter. So hopefully, you know, it's been going good for you guys. Uh, and I also, I hope you guys got a chance to listen to the last episode. Uh, for those of you who don't know, my last episode was an interview uh, with my good friend and also an expert in the areas of public safety and more importantly, in the areas of masjid safety, uh, being Yunus Imam of the Salam Project. We had a, a great discussion and it was a really good interview. I think Yunus got a lot of important points out, especially about some misconceptions that people have about masjid safety and security, but also the many things that we can do to prevent attacks like we've seen in Quebec or in Christchurch from happening again. So again, if you haven't already, please do go listen to that interview. Uh, it is an hour long, but again, we go through some very, very interesting topics that I thought were very important to share. Now, enough about last week's episode, moving on to this week's episode, or at least today's episode. I wanted to again shift gears because I don't want to focus too much on masjid safety because again, that's not my focus. And I wanted to go back into the area of politics, specifically one area of politics that has been a very big point of debate within Canada and directly relates to many things within the Muslim community, or at least more specifically, the Muslim community within Quebec. I wanted to focus on today's episode on Bill 21, and it has its official name, but I will just be calling it Quebec's secularism law, because that is essentially what it is. It is a law that enforces an idea, and I think this is an important point here, an idea and a perception of what secularism is supposed to be. Uh, and it is, of course, a very heavily debated and uh, controversial, to say the least, law within Canada and specifically within Quebec as well. It, of course, brings up the major debate of secularism versus religious freedoms, which is a main point of topic within Canada as well, because as many of you probably do know, that in the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms, every Canadian citizen and every person within Canada is guaranteed the freedom of religion, or religious freedoms, essentially. Uh, I don't know if freedom of religion is the right way to phrase it, because I think that might be 
the way that the Americans uh, phrase it. Uh, but essentially, we have religious freedoms where people are allowed to practice their religion. They are allowed to practice it freely and without restrictions uh, or, you know, limitations, I guess you could say, by the federal government. And that's something that is within the, uh, you know, within the uh, Canadian Charter. And of course, because all provincial governments uh, have signed on to the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms, it applies to them as well. So basically, you know, it is a very, very big point of conflict. But before we get into any sort of details about the law, I wanted to go over some basic information of the law as well. And more importantly, one that is kind of the most important one, and that is, can the Quebec government pass the law? And the easy answer is yes. 100% they can pass the law. They have every right to pass the law because this is a law that is only going to deal with the provincial government. This has nothing to do with the rest of Canada. So this is not something that impacts a Canadian who lives in Vancouver or a Canadian or, uh, you know, a, I should say a person who wears a religious, you know, uh, you know, headgear or something like that or a religious symbol. It does not impact any of them that live in Vancouver or Calgary or, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It only impacts those who live in Quebec. And it also only impacts those who have provincial jobs, not those who have private sector jobs. In fact, if you worked in the private sector, none of this would apply to you. The only people who are being impacted by this are those who work in the actual Quebec government. So, for example, if you were a teacher, if you were a lawyer, if you were a police officer, this law would impact you. And the, the main important thing here is that although they are allowed to pass the law, they didn't actually, I guess they technically do, in fact, violate the right to, you know, the freedom of religion to some degree. Now, I don't want to say they violate in that it's illegal, but they are, in fact, violating the rights that are guaranteed. However, the reason that they're still able to pass the law, and this is really essential in understanding this, is that they use what's called the notwithstanding clause within the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. And what the notwithstanding clause allows a provincial government to do is to, I guess, essentially, and, and this is going to be a very simple explanation, uh, and so I'm not going to get into too much legal terminology here, legal I guess, ideas, but essentially what it allows a provincial government to do is to pass a law that violates federal law or violates, you know, federal, um, you know, legal jurisdictions, or maybe not jurisdictions, I should say, but sort of the federal legal rules or regulations, and they can pass a law that violates it, but will use a notwithstanding clause to still implement it. And so I believe the term is that it should last for only five years, and then they either have to reapply it or they have to get rid of it. And so essentially, because the Quebec government basically used a notwithstanding clause to implement this law, unless there's a new government that is not, you know, the Quebec nationalist government in Quebec, likelihood is, is that they're going to renew this when the notwithstanding clause expires after five years. I also just want to point out again that if I am incorrect, please don't get angry about the notwithstanding clause. Again, I'm not a legal expert, so you know I kind of was just doing this off the top of my head. But the main point behind all of this is that no matter how way you look at what which way you look at it, 
They do have a right to pass the law. The question is, though, are they violating, you know, people's religious freedoms? Are they, you know, are they passing a law that is now discriminatory, that is beyond just enforcing law within, you know, a country? Are they unjustly picking on people who are, you know, religious? Are they unjustly picking on, you know, Muslims or Sikhs or Christians or Jewish people? Right? That's where I guess the debate really comes into because some people would argue that this law is discriminatory. And of course, I'm not going to make any arguments on either side here, but getting into this, we'll get into some of these finer points later and in just one second. But what I also wanted to focus on right now is to understand what Bill 21 is supposed to be. Why did Quebec want to pass this law? Because, of course, there is a, I guess, another side to the debate, and that's the Quebec side. Or I shouldn't say the Quebec side. I should say the Quebec, I guess, nationalist side, uh, or maybe the, you know, Parti Quebecois side, the, the Quebec, the, basically the nationalist Quebec uh, government. Uh, the, the Parti Quebecois, for those of you who don't know, are a, a French or a Quebec nationalist party that is within Quebec. And I know that's complicated for those of you who don't know anything about Canadian politics, but essentially the French speakers within Quebec view themselves, and some French speakers outside of Quebec as well, they view themselves as a, a nation within Canada. So they view Canada as an English-speaking nation and Quebec as a separate French-speaking nation, which is why they're called nationalists, or at least why I'm calling them nationalists. And so essentially... Bill 21 really has deep roots within the idea of Quebec being allowed to decide what it feels is right or wrong within its province, which again is something based on the way that the, that the federal and provincial governments are set up in Canada is totally allowed. However, again, because this deals with something of religious freedoms, and that is something that is ingrained within the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms, which is a central point to the Constitution of Canada, that's why this becomes a much, much bigger issue, or at least that's how I view it to be a much, much bigger issue. So Bill 21 itself is essentially a law that is meant to confirm the secular status of the Quebec government by banning the wearing of religious headgear and symbols from public servants or any provincial position within Quebec. And so the way that it would essentially work is that current workers who wear religious figures or religious headgear, religious symbols, uh, would they would be allowed to continue to wear it. However, those who would be new hires wouldn't be allowed to wear it. Now, I don't know how this applies, you know, entirely. I don't know if you know current hires are being told to take it off. I don't. I don't know exactly if this is entirely entirely true. But I have read that people who already work within Quebec or within the provincial government, I should say, they're getting sort of a, you know, a uh, they're getting a, a pass where they're allowed to continue to wear religious headgear. However, those that are new would not be allowed to wear it. So as you can imagine, if you're a young Quebecer or, you know, if you're a young, you know, Muslim, Christian, Jew, Jewish person, Sikh, what have you you're probably looking at this law and saying, wow, this law really screws me over, doesn't it? Because it basically does. It basically does, right? It, it's essentially targeting the youth in a sort of backhanded way by disqualifying them 
from even getting a job within the provincial government. And and I tried to find, I tried to find to, to kind of emphasize, you know, the impact of this law. I tried to find just how many, you know, youth are hired by the provincial government within Quebec. Unfortunately, I didn't really have time and I, and I wasn't able to find the statistics, but I'm willing to bet uh, because this is something that's quite common is that the federal government and provincial governments within Canada, they definitely do play a big role in people's, you know, entry-level jobs or, you know, the first jobs that people get. And so it is, it is in my opinion, I, I would argue that it is a definite big impact because if you're going to not allow them into the provincial government, you're essentially getting rid of a big chunk of possible jobs for many of them. And on the other hand, the Quebec kind of perspective of this is that within Quebec, there's always been a long history of secularism within the province, which I'm not going to cover entirely because it is very, very long and it is a very controversial thing. And it took many years and different governments to really shape the way that secularism is perceived within Quebec. But the main issue, and, and the main issue really comes down to the state versus the religion. Uh, and within Quebec, traditionally, historically at least, the Catholic Church played a massive role within the province. And so it is sort of a, a remnant, this idea of secularism within Quebec, this the sort of idea of fighting the Catholic Church for control within the province. And so I, I hope that that was a good explanation into getting some, you know, concrete ideas about where Bill 21 kind of comes from and sort of, you know, what the, the, I guess, the legal standing of Bill 21 is. And of course, again, a lot more details that I didn't get into, but essentially, again, they are allowed to pass it. And more than not, you know, it does come from not this, you know, random law that they implemented just because they started to see a bunch of people wearing the hijab, Although, although you could definitely argue that that's true, but nonetheless, it does actually have a historical part within Quebec. There's always been this sort of debate within Quebec about where does religion and the state play? And they've definitely had a harsher debate about it than the rest of Canada, where it's been much, much different when, or it's much, it's been much more different, I should say, when it comes to the point of religion and the state. So from there, I want to jump now to some important and key debates about this new law within Quebec. And so there was a lot of variety of topics that I could have picked from, but I wanted to pick ones, of course, that I thought were interesting and I think that you would think are interesting. And of course, as you know, this is a Muslim-based podcast, ones that will obviously impact the Muslim community and one I think that's really important for maybe the Muslim community to think about, especially those that are, of course, within Quebec and will be imp uh, impacted by this law. I think first and foremost, we have to start with the secularism versus the religious freedoms debate. And, and the main question that I think comes to your mind and comes to my mind, and I'm sure came to your mind as well, is where do we draw the line between enforcing secularism within a society and allowing someone to practice their religion, right? And, and, and I think that this is something that's essential, really, because that is where the debate really is, right? At, at what point is the line as to what secularism is? And just so we know, I guess the idea of secularism, that I'm, I'm sure a lot of Muslims disagree with it, 
But there's actually a good argument to be had that secularism is something that's sort of always been within Islam, not because of the fact that we don't apply religion to our lives, but because of the way that religion is set in Islam compared to other religions like Christianity or Judaism, for example, Islam has a different sort of point in our lives, right? Because it's not just a religion where we go, you read the Quran and you go home, right? Something like Sharia law, for example, it's not just a bunch of punishments. Sharia law is also a way of life, right? Like it guides you in your life as well. And so there is a sort of a different way in, in the, you know, the, the role of secularism within the society, especially within an Islamic context. And I think that historically speaking as well, you know, many Muslim emperors or whatnot were not entirely, you know, these religious figureheads either, right? Like the religion was one thing, but the leadership of the country was another. And in fact, if you go through and look at many of the great imams of, you know, of Muslim history, many of them actually criticized and constantly criticized, you know, governments of their day. And I think that that's something for us to maybe think on. And I'm not going to get too, too much into this. And maybe this could be, you know, a topic. Actually, this wouldn't be a bad topic to have a future episode on. Uh, but I think it is something important for us to really think about, right? Where does the enforcement of secularism come within, you know, a, a person being allowed to practice their religion freely? And if secularism is the absence of religion from politics... Does Bill 21 really effectively get rid of that? I'm not really sure if it does, right? Because one thing that I think is really important is that there's this concept that if you get rid of the hijab from a, you know, a Muslim person, that, you know, it's going to stop them from being religious or, or it stop a Muslim woman, obviously, from being religious, which I'm not so sure if that works out the way people think it does, because I, I don't know, you know, how you how that changes anything, right? If anything, you might make them more religious, uh, because let's just say, you know, you're a hijab wearing woman, uh, someone removes your hijab, uh, does that stop you from being a person who would read the Quran? Does that stop you from being a person who would do your five prayers? Does that stop you from being a person who you know believes in Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala? No. No, it doesn't. So does Bill 21 stopping you from wearing the hijab, you know, at your job really prevent you from being Muslim or, or you know, get rid of the religion within, you know, within your ideas or whatnot? No, right? Because the, the idea is, and, and this is sort of building on the secularism versus religious freedoms debate, but, you know, the secularist side here is essentially arguing, uh, even if they don't want to admit it, in my opinion, they are essentially arguing that people who wear religious gear will be biased, right? That they're biased, that they will bring the religion into, you know, the politics and whatnot, right? But I don't understand how that would work, right? Because again, if, if you took away the hijab from a woman who was Muslim, you're not going to stop her from being Muslim, right? Like a Muslim woman who wears a hijab, or maybe even a Muslim man who wears a topi, you know, like a, a hat or whatever, uh, you know, or maybe who grows a beard, just because you make them shave the beard, they're not going to stop being Muslim. How does that even work? Like, really? Like, if, if you really think that Islam was that simple, like, I, I got a news flash for some of you people, it's not. You're not going to stop someone from being Muslim. So I do question the idea that, you know, the, the person getting rid of 
public displays of religion will immediately stop someone from being religious. Because again, you know, I, I go back and I look at Islamic history, right? If you go back and look at some, you know, Muslim emperors of the past, right? Not all of them were, you know, as religious as some people are today, right? Like some Muslim emperors did some very, very questionable things, right? But that doesn't stop the people around them from being religious, right? Like the actions of, of certain people or whatnot, that's not how it, it comes into Islam, right? Islam is not that religion where if you just get rid of certain things here and there, everyone stops being Muslim. No, obviously not. I, I just think that, you know, this, this idea that secularism, just getting rid of public displays of religion somehow prevents religion from being part of, of the state or the country or, you know, the area, what have you, it, it doesn't really make much sense. And again, it goes back to how does Bill 21 even solve any problem of bias within, you know, the government, right? Because the other question I have, uh, the other question I have is how do you assume that someone who is religious would be biased? Like, why are you already making them guilty? Like, if you look at Islam, for example, right, and many religions, but again, since we are all Muslims that are probably listening to this, uh, I'll bring up Islam, right? If you bring up Islam here, like, how does Islam prevent someone from doing things, you know, that would be good for a society? It doesn't. If anything, you know, Islam encourages, encourages us to do good for the society, not the bad, you know? So it's almost like they're making us guilty without even giving us a chance, right? Like, it's, it's like this law says, you're guilty for being religious, even though you've done nothing wrong. And so I guess the question is, is what did I do wrong by being religious or wearing, you know, a religious, uh, you know, figure or a religious headgear or religious symbol? Like, what was the wrong? Like, I, I didn't force anything on anyone. I just wore something. Is that really that bad? Right? Like, there, there's definitely a disconnect, I think. And that's where, again, the controversy behind Bill 21 comes in. Where even though, yes, maybe legally it might get ruled as being legal... But in re in reality, right? Like in reality, because that's there's a there's a disconnect. There's a disconnect between what they're trying to accomplish and I think what they're actually accomplishing. Now, of course, that's one point, right? That's one point that I have a major problem with. Another thing that I saw, and this one was sort of um, this one was somewhat similar along the lines of why are you assuming that I would be biased? Or why are you assuming that, you know, I'm guilty of something? Uh, because this is one where the, the idea was, was that the reason they wanted to implement the secularism of the state was because it makes the state neutral, right? So it makes the state neutral where they're not favoring one religion over the other. And also, you know, people who maybe have had, uh, I don't know how else to, to sort of phrase this, but it's supposed to eliminate people's perceptions that there could be bias within the government or, you know, if people, you know, have, uh, you know, maybe personal uh, bad experiences with a, a religious person of some background, then they know for a fact that the government workers who are helping them or the application of the government uh, is not biased in itself. And again, I go back to what, 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 what's the point of that? Like, what, what does that even mean, right? Like, why are you assuming A that, you know, someone who's wearing a religious headgear uh, is the same as, you know, what your bad experience with a religious person was, right? Like, 
how, how does that make any sense, right? And, and then on the other hand, uh, you know, even if, let's say, you say the state is neutral, again, that doesn't change people's personal opinions. Like, let, let's take this one example, right? And, and this is one that immediately came to my head when I started hearing some explanations for Bill 21. And that's that, let's say someone was a communist, right? A full-on communist. They hate the capitalists. They hate the rich. They hate people who have all the wealth and whatnot. They absolutely despise them. Let's say someone's a communist. They work at Revenue Canada, or maybe they work at whatever the equivalent is within Quebec or whatever, you know, you know, revenue type of, uh, you know, uh, let's say the Ministry of Finance within Quebec, whatever, right? One of those ministries. And they get a portfolio or a folder. They're doing a review. It turns out to be some big capitalist. Oh, they hate the capitalists because they're communists. So they decide to fail the, the guy or whatever, or they decide to deny whatever the application might be. That could happen. That could conceivably happen. That could easily happen. That could absolutely happen. And yet, there's no law to stop communists within Quebec. Why not? Communists could be running around denying capitalists of everything. Could they not? They could be absolutely making sure that capitalists don't get any sort of, you know, luck or anything like that. They could ruin so many capitalist lives. They could do a lot of bad things. They could. They might possibly be doing it. Do we know? Not really. Do we have any proof? Not really. Are we going to pass a law? No. But when it came to religion, they did. And that's kind of the problem, right? Like, this is this is part of, of the issue that I'm trying to get at. Because how do you know people can't be biased for other reasons? You don't, you're assuming that people who are religious are the one reason why someone's going to be biased. But I feel like this opens a big can of worms. And one of them is that... How do you stop at just preventing religion? Because at some point you have to say, well, there's other things that people can be biased towards. There's other things that can impact people's biases as well. Are you going to start regulating them as well? No, they're not. They're not going to start regulating that because they know that they can't. Just like you can't, you can't regulate this. Because again, I go back to the earlier point. Let's say you make a Muslim woman who wears the hijab, take off her hijab, and then, you know, what do you expect? Her to just stop being Muslim? Again, that's not going to stop her from reading the Quran. That's not going to stop her from praying five times a day. And that's not going to stop her from being Muslim. In fact, it's probably going to push her, again, more towards it. Uh, a third point, and one that I think uh, is fairly relevant, because it's one that well, actually had a real-life uh, ramification, uh, which was uh, the teachers uh, within Quebec who actually wear religious headgear. I think there was a story a while back, a few months ago, about a Muslim teacher who was removed from her position uh, because she wore the hijab. And, and I'm not going to get too much into that because I, I might cover that uh, in the next episode. But essentially, there's this worry and this boogeyman that the Quebecers say, uh, or some Quebecers, I should say, say, that basically religious people, you know, people who wear religious headgear, I should say, or religious symbols, could be biased as teachers because they'll teach inaccurate things about facts and whatnot. Which, again, like I mentioned just a few minutes ago, could be said just about anyone. Let's say you have a communist teacher, and they teach you communist things about the world. 
You're talking about the Cold War, Soviet Union versus America. They give you the communist perspective of it rather than maybe, you know, the Western perspective or whatever. It's the same thing where they're assuming that teachers who wear religious headgear uh, and specifically stuff like hijabs would be biased in teaching the kids the wrong things, which again is inaccurate because, you know, teaching uh, reviews happen, teachers are held accountable, and people can obviously watch and know what that person is teaching them. If a Muslim woman were teaching them bad things that were inaccurate from, you know, the, uh, the, the, uh, what's it called, the schedule of their teaching or whatever, uh, I don't know what the actual name for that is, obviously, yes, that's something big, and you can, you know, find that out. I'm sure a principal or something could figure that out. Why are you assuming, of course, because again, it goes back to the assumption of guilt, why are you assuming that she would be guilty? You know, or, or he would be guilty. Why? Right? Like, it's just, it's so absurd when you keep looking at this, because it comes back to, again, that, that point, why are you assuming their guilt? Why are you assuming that they're going to do something wrong because they wear a religious headgear? And so now just one more point here for, the, for this section. Uh, and, and it's something that's really come to my mind the more I've read about, you know, Bill 21 uh, and um, I guess the way that it's been implemented or kind of the ideas behind it. And, and more specifically, the way that people view secularism uh, and the role of religion uh, within, you know, the state. And and I think that it goes back to my earlier point about how, you know, secularism and Islam is sort of different uh, because, you know, it, obviously we previous Islamic governments were not like secular the way that Western governments are secular. But if you do look at them, many of them were not, you know, Islamic fundamentalists or something like that, right? Like the governments themselves were Muslim, but they didn't always just talk about Islam or anything. They, they govern like normal governors or whatnot did, right? Because Islam was a part of the governing, right? The way that they governed, they used stuff like the Sunnah and the Hadiths to govern, right? But they didn't necessarily, you know, eliminate people who were religious minorities, right? Now, obviously, not all of them were perfect. But again, if you go through many Islamic governments, they were quite, you know, nice for those standards, to religious minorities. And I think that that's something that's really important because there's this idea that, you know, if you don't have secularism uh, within some of these, uh, you know, these governments or whatnot, uh, and I'm talking broadly here, then all of a sudden, you know, people who are minorities or whatnot will be mistreated. When really, you know, historically speaking, you know, secularism has sort of been a role to play. You know, the, the imams have been on one side and the government was on one side. And they didn't always get along, but, you know, it wasn't intertwined. Now, of course, it's, it's a bit different, and that's a complicated reason why. Uh, and, you know, there's multiple, uh, I guess, uh, ways into looking in that, and I'm not going to get into that, and I'm not taking a position about that either. But I do think it's important to know historically where Islam stood on this issue, uh, because, you know, religion has sort of always been a thing in Islam, that it's not the way that it is in Christianity. And I think that that's an essential difference here, that a lot of these debates about secularism in the West, especially in Europe and, you know, uh, France maybe particularly, and Quebec, is that it relates to the Catholic Church, the massive, the massive organization known as the Catholic Church. 
And to that I ask a simple question. Could anyone point out to me what the equivalent of the Catholic Church is within Islam? The answer is, there is none. And I think that that is essentially a very, very important part when it comes to understanding you know, Islam and Muslims within a secular society. You know, if you look at the way that Islam is practiced, like for many Muslims, right, it's sort of a, a decentralized thing. Whereas for Christianity, it was a centralized position. And, and the church itself was a political figure. Whereas historically speaking, in my opinion at least, Islam was something that was sort of just intertwined within the regions that it was in. Right, it, it, there was no church. There was no church pushing political objectives here and there. The will of, you know, the people was the will of Islam. And when the people wanted something for Islam, it was a decentralized approach where the people themselves wanted it. Whereas in Christianity, the church would often force countries to do certain things, or the church would often use its own wealth and power to force countries to do things, or I should say, kingdoms and empires to do things for them, or, you know, to follow certain objectives. Maybe the most famous of all, of course, was the Crusades. Whereas, if you look at Islam, there was no church to fight back against the Catholic Church, right? There wasn't. It was a decentralized approach. Like, Salahuddin was basically fighting by himself <laughs> against all the Crusaders. That was part of, you know, the, the struggle and part of the battle. And so I think that it's important to point out to people and it's important for people to understand that Islam doesn't have a central church. It is in many parts, you know, as being Muslim, it's a very decentralized religion. We are free for the most part to practice Islam, of course, within constraints. There are, of course, constraints. I am not going to ignore the obvious, you know, fard and sunnah constraints that are within Islam. But for the most part, there's no imam that can tell you this is how you must practice Islam, right? And that's maybe a good and a bad thing because it's, it's led to obviously some conflicts. But at the same time, you can pick and choose uh, to some degree as to how you practice the faith. And that's another problem when it comes to Bill 21 because it's unjustly, I think, discriminating against Muslims who are, who are legal, who are just, who are good people against the actions of people who are, you know, radicalists or people who take Islam to, you know, a, a, a whole different degree. You know, all this worry about, you know, being overtly religious, like it's going to hurt everyone, is ridiculous, right? Because I don't understand how it can be when I know so many people who are overtly religious, who are, you know, who, who wear their religion, you know, as to who they are. They're not radicals, they're not terrorists, they're not bad people. They're just religious, right? Bad people are bad people. You shouldn't go after religious people. You should go after the bad people if you really wanted to make a difference, which again is a point where I say Bill 21 is kind of dumb. Okay, fine. So I, maybe I didn't say that word exactly, but I'm saying it now. I'm saying it now. Bill 21 is kind of dumb, all right? I get what the Quebecers are trying to go for, but it's such an ignorant way of going at it. Is it a good law? No, it's not. It's not. I just think it's, it's, I, I think personally it's discriminatory. You know, I think a lot of people who are pro Bill 21 probably would argue otherwise. But in my opinion, I don't understand how it's not discriminating 
against people who are religious. Because essentially, it is pointing at them and only blaming them for saying, yes, you're the reason that there could be biases within the government, which again, as I've talked about before and elaborated on, there can be many different ways that someone can have a bias within uh, you know, the government. And so now I want to end our conversation here. Uh, there was a bit more that I have uh, that I had left for today's episode, but I'll speak of that in the next episode, which I'll get into as well later, because the next episode will also be focused on Bill 21 uh, within Quebec. Another point that I want to bring up, and this one is something that's also very important, but Bill 21 is being fought in grassroots organizations. You know, many organizations, uh, just to name a few, the Canadian Civil Liberties uh, Association, I think, or the Canadian Civil Liberties, Canadian Civil Liberties, I think it's Association, the CCLA, I think is what they're called, or the CCLU, I, I don't know, uh, but essentially, they're a Canadian Civil Liberties organization that is seeking to fight Bill 21 because they view that it is religious discrimination and violates a person's uh, freedom of religion. And in addition, and one that I think I've mentioned many times throughout this podcast, but the National Council of Canadian Muslims is also fighting the law. And they are and they are both fighting it on behalf of many Muslims within Quebec. And so I think it's very important for us to take some time to go to both those websites, both those organizations, to try to learn as much as we can about what is going on when it comes to Bill 21. Specifically, I would request, and I think I've requested this before on this podcast, if you do have the money, please go to the website of the National Council of Canadian Muslims and please donate to them because they need all the money that they can get to help fund uh, to help fund their own um, you know, fight against Bill 21, uh, because again, they are a not-for-profit group, so they don't make any profits out of anything. They are full-on charity, and they need that money so that they can properly defend the people in Quebec who wear religious headgear, and specifically the Muslims who wear religious headgear within Quebec. And again, I think it's really important for us to really keep on top of this and and ensure that, you know, we're there for the Muslim communities within Quebec, because again, it will definitely impact them in the near future. And so I think that this is a good place to now end today's episode. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. I hope what I said made sense. I hope I didn't really say anything too controversial there. Of course, I hope I didn't ramble on too long. I hope this was an interesting episode as well. Uh, again, Bill 21 is something that I absolutely disagree with if I had not made that clear enough by saying that it sucks. Uh, but it really, really does. It sucks. It's a bad, bad law. Uh, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm wholly against it. And I, I'm, I'm going to assume that you're probably against it too. I assume you may, not, if you're not, you know, if you're not actually against it, you know, why don't you send me a message? Let me know why you're not against it. Don't be rude, but you know, <laughs> don't be rude, but you know, send me a message. You know, I, I'm on Twitter and Instagram, both of them. It's at Mib Podcast, which is at M I Y B, uh, capital P and then podcast. Uh, so it's M I Y B all. P as well, capital, uh, wait, let me start this again, it's, my Instagram and my Twitter is M-I-Y-B podcast, uh, so M-I-Y-B and the P in podcast is all capital, so please go find me 
uh, on Instagram and Twitter. Let me know what you guys thought of today's episode, as well as what you think of Bill 21, whether you agree, whether you disagree, what would you like to see different about it? And overall, just what did you think of the episode? Uh, If you have any tips or anything like that for me, I'd love to hear them. Again, don't be rude though. (laughs) So just give me some feedback if you guys are willing, uh, as well as, uh, as well as, uh, again, if you guys could please leave a review at whatever podcast page that you're listening to this from, uh, as well as if you could rate a five-star review for this podcast, it really allows me to continue making podcast episodes. And also do not forget to like and subscribe to the podcast. If you do, you will get episode updates about my next episodes. Uh, And of course, it'll keep you up to date about any new releases that I make. And of course, I'd appreciate it very, very much. And I'd be very, very appreciative of you to do that. Uh, So that being said, I hope you guys again enjoyed today's episode. I hope it was, uh, I hope it was informative. And and I hope that again, my points didn't, you know, go too out there and that they made sense. But I really do think again, you know, two things here. Number one, Bill 21, something for us to really think about and fight. But also number two, to really maybe put a point of reflection about understanding where these ideas of, you know, of secularism interact with Islam and where does, you know, the role of the state play within the role of our religion? Because again, in my opinion, Islam is a religion that does not enforce anything unjustly on anyone. It is a religion that gives us the flexibility that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave us because it is the way that this religion works and that it allows us to pray and you know believe in you know in, in Islam and in the Prophet in, in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in a variety of different ways that is very, very different than that of Christianity and many other religions. So then with that being said, inshallah and alafis, we'll meet again. <laughs>